everybody. Hey! Hey, uh, we're we're here in the center of the sun. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> you guys, uh, there's going to be kind of a loud, uh, a low hum in the background because Jack's got his air conditioner going. Uh, it's kind of weird for a podcast, but it's a hot, humid New Jersey evening, so we can't live without this. No, I mean, even well, if... Well, Jack uh, can't. He's kind of a inferior being, but, you know. Well, that's what happens when you live in... I forget. I, I don't even know what to say. Jack is just too hot to handle. Yeah. There you go. And that's my wife, Corey. Thank you, honey. Um, I shouldn't call you honey. Um, but welcome to the How Wages... dare you? Yeah. Oh, yes. Thank. Sorry. Damn me for being affectionate. Welcome to the Wages of Cinema. And, boy, we, uh, we have another franchise here. We have another uh, box of Big Macs to sort through. Yeah, and we whoppers. just saw we just saw X Men Apocalypse with uh, you know the two of us, Matt. Uh, Sam yes. And Matt. Also, Hi. I should have introduced our our good uh, sometimes co-host Macatania's here. Greetings out there in podcast listening land. And Corey's back, of course, because she did so well in the Civil War uh, review. Hello, everyone. Yes. So I just waved at the computer screen like it could hear me. <laughs> <laughs> it seen can it. hear you. Or Don't you it. notice the little. Like camera, it I watches all of it us. Like you could see You've got to wave your hand so hard that it makes like. The NSA is always listening to our podcasts. They're our biggest supporter. I would be flattered if the NSA listened to our podcast. Mm. Chemtrails. That's what that's what Edward Snowden was all about. He yeah. was just like, got to stop those wages of cinema, and he was never seen again. So apocalypse. Yeah. Eh. That's my one word review. You want one word review of this movie? It was there. It was pretty dumb. <laughs> now on the dumb meter, Andrew. Here's my first question: Dumber than Batman versus Superman? I don't think anything is as dumb as Batman versus Superman. <laughs> there was no, was, there was no Martha in this one. This was plagued by bad writing from the first act onward. I, you know what? I'm not gonna say that because the first act was my favorite part of the movie. The first act actually gave me hope for a better movie. You know, like, and I was telling Corey this, I wish that this movie, or I wish, this movie made me hopeful that we just got a movie with the X-Men, but without a plot. (laughs) Does that make sense? I want to just follow these characters around, because the actors that they have here are all solid. I mean, they also have new young actors, because, again, this is technically the third, quote, prequel to the original three X-Men movies. Um, And so you have characters from those movies now as, like, teenagers in this one. But I I enjoyed seeing, like, the characters in their sort of getting-to-learn environment. Like, Scott Summers, we see him learning to become uh, Cyclops. Right. Um, You know, he can't control his powers. And then Jean Grey, you know, she's at the Xavier School. Um... Magneto, uh, we'll get to that in a moment, because that's a lot to talk about. But I kind of, I did enjoy the first act, just because, okay, I get to see these characters interacting without the plot. It's when the plot comes in that a lot of the big problems start to really come up. Is that a good way to say it? Uh, Or, Corey, why don't you put it in the way that you said it to me in the car? Well, my kind of short summary review of this film is that... There are things the film does well, but everything the film does well is a total retread. 
of things that have been done better in other X-Men movies. Like what? I'm referring to, like, the moral debates between Magneto and Professor X. I'm referring to Jean Grey wrestling with her powers. I'm referring to Magneto turning personal loss into an excuse to turn against humanity. These are compelling ideas, but ideas that have been dealt with much better in other X-Men films. Don't forget we get, like, the third instance of Wolverine escaping the Weapon X facility. <laughs> it's basically gonna be, like, the new Bruce Wayne's parents being murdered by the point. <laughs> now, wait, is it the third one? Because I thought they did... I thought it was in X-Men Origins Wolverine that they had that. They also had that in X-Men 2. They had flashbacks from yeah. escaping. Oh, okay. Uh, also, I'm done with Cerebro being hijacked. Done. Alright, well let's just give a very brief little synopsis in case you're wondering what it is that we're talking about. The synopsis about. is it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as, All right. as Matt said, uh, any time this movie deviates from being a total retread of other better X-Men movies, it's garbage. Any time it's not unoriginal and inessential, it's terrible. The actual plot is garbage. And I like some of the character stuff, but as I mentioned, the character stuff has been done better in other X-Men movies. Alright, so just to give you an idea of what we're talking about, in uh, X-Men Apocalypse, uh, Professor Z Xavier has started up his new school, you know, the, the Mutant Academy for Mutants, that's not his name, but I know. Yeah, the uh, Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Right. I like your name better. We should. Learn it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know things seem to be going good, uh, but then an ancient Egyptian mutant gets on Earth, and he's going to take over the world and destroy everything else. Well, not just any mutant, the original mutant. Yes, he's, he's like the one who, like, I guess started it all or something. But he's he, he is the Elvis of mutants. <laughs> and he, hey, and, Barry resents that. And he comes back from millennia of sleep to uh, rise up and take over the world. And he has uh, four mutants who are awesome who will do his bidding. That's the that's that's our setup here. Yeah, um, you know what this movie is? It's like if you have a fast food franchise again, because this is a franchise at this point. You go to you you literally go to Burger King and ask, "I want a Whopper." And you've had Whoppers for your whole life. You bite into it. Hmm, this is pretty good. Uh, and that's it. But the problem is, you've had Whoppers your whole life. So, there's nothing else to it. And it's, But it's not as if we expected this to be bad. I mean, X-Men X First Class was a really good movie. Both First Class and Days of Future Days Past, Days of Future to Past me, was also really good. I have fond memories of Days of Future Past. I almost feel like Days of Future Past, uh, for me... Um, was the, like, it kind of summed up a lot of what the X-Men movies have been trying to do over these uh, past several years. Yeah, and it's been pretty good so far. Two pretty good movies. And then all of a sudden, Apocalypse comes along, and it just takes a nosedive. It, it, I this mean, is a serious quality nosedive it's not for even, the X-Men See, I think I might be the one, I think I might not, I might be slightly more terrible than everyone else here about this movie. I didn't hate it. I just... It was going through the motions and sh doing things that just weren't that fresh. This is like if you had the X-Men cartoon series and you're in season four or five. 
You know, I don't know. You didn't watch the series. No. You know, I by this that that was better. Don't insult the X-Men <laughs> cartoon series. All right. Well, Matt actually was uh, before we started this podcast. He actually wrote down a list of certain things. Now I don't know if we'll go through those like every single one of them, but generally speaking, like. We are, uh, by the way, avoiding spoilers for these first few minutes of podcast. Oh, so, thank you for your uh, didn't we? Did we already spoil anything? I don't think not we really. Anything, no. Except maybe one thing, but we're gonna keep the lid on it until right. like about uh, twenty minutes in. So we'll let you know. <sighs> so, so I don't know. Like, do you think? So you think the dumbness started from the beginning? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it started from the beginning because basically, from from the get go, it has all this terrible dialogue. And all this terrible character work. And you realize that it's never going to get above this. Especially when the action starts. Mm. The dialogue is very workmanlike. And it's also very... Again, it's just so typical. Even in the little moments I liked in the first act, like you see, again, the first time that Scott Summers and Jean Grey meet. And, you know, it, it's... Uh, they're... They're just there. Yeah, nothing really like hit home emotionally except for Quicksilver because Quicksilver is fun. Every like there's things happening in this movie that should be like, oh wow, this is big major earth shaking things happening now. I'm just going like, eh, I don't I don't like any of these people. I don't care. There's no, I don't feel anything. I'm an X Men fan. Why am I not being excited by this super big budget X Men movie with giant stakes? It just like felt like nothing to me. Like why was I sitting here? being forced to watch them not do justice to a comic series I really like. Now, this isn't a spoiler, but this is something that really irked me, and it literally made me facepalm in the theater. Um, the, 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 a few of the characters in the scene are leaving Return of the Jedi. Because, oh, yeah. again, this, yeah. mo- this movie's oh. set in 1983. And one of them comments, well, you know the third one's always the worst one. Yes. Like, as if this is Brian Singer suddenly coming out of his director chair, looking at the audience and going, Huh? I dare you. I dare you. Well, I think that was supposed to be, like, a mated dig against X-Men The Last Stand, but it also totally applies to this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's something I was also curious about. As far as third movies go, this or Last Stand? Uh, I have to give it some time to think about it. Neither of them are good. Um, I, that's like they're bad in different ways. Let's that's put like that. That's they, like, they're both flawed in different ways. I, whichever one's worse, it's like winning a world's ugliest man contest. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's get into something weird that happened okay. even before the movie began. Oh yeah, yes, you yes, guys. Yes, all right, yes, now let, let me take you through this scenario. All right, all the trailers start, and I'm like, okay, fifteen trailers, great. Once we get to the end, we'll be we'll be right on our way. Well, we didn't really get that many trailers at this theater. Hyperbole, Jack. Anyway, so the movie looks like it's about to start, and then there's this introduction to the film by the woman who's playing Storm. Alexander Ship. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. And she says, "Hey, we all enjoyed making this film. We hope you enjoy it too." And I looked at you, Jack, and I said, <laughs> "And I was like, what? What's going on?" Now, to be fair. This isn't the first time in history that this has happened. Apparently, I've heard... Oh! You know what, Corey? Well, I don't know if you remember this. I think either it was before The Fault in Our Stars or Paper Towns. John Green yeah. actually made a message to the audience. Did you guys think that this you were going insane as this intro <laughs> went <laughs> not, not really. I th- you know what it is, though? The, the sad, to me, it felt sad 
because it almost felt like here's this here's the studio or this move or the people behind this movie or movies in general saying well we know that you're not really coming out to movies that much anymore so thanks for coming to this theater yeah. to see a movie in a theater I oh my it, god i thought it was All an right. anti down, i right? thought it was an anti-piracy thing just like at the very end of credits now they mention how many jobs are created by making a film. I thought it was an anti-piracy thing. What bothers me about it is the actress was given more to do in that <laughs> intro than she was given <laughs> in X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah. You have what a great a point there. What a waste of Storm. Well, what? I mean, that's been true for the franchise since the first movie, so at least they're consistent. Come on, yeah. Matt. You know what happens when a lightning strikes a code. <laughs> the same thing that happens to everything else. All right, did I misquote that? You did. Go on, Star. Hey, Joss Whedon. All right, but I yeah. felt like, wait a minute, is this some sort of weird kind of backhanded apology? Because it's like, <laughs> hey, we, we think this movie is probably going to suck, uh, but thank you all for coming out to see, see it. See, I, I didn't know what they were trying to do. I, I, I thought don't... they were setting us up for, like, for this weird pratfall. See, I don't think... What are you guys doing? I don't the think movie it, started. I don't think it's I necessarily... Think it's that big a deal. I don't think it's necessarily about that movie itself, I feel like it's more like a general thing as far as movie going. The fact that as people are not really going to the movies much... But the but this is... Bef but you know what? If you're going to do that, do it before a small movie. Like, have George Clooney come out and say, thanks for coming to see Money Monster. Uh, we hope you enjoy the show. If George I mean, Clooney came out and they gave an introduction before every film, I think people would succeed <laughs> them. Well. Yeah, but... But why would you do it before X-Men? This is a big blockbuster. People are going to be seeing this movie. Any, like, no, they know that the word of mouth is going to get out and people are just going to watch it on the computer dories. On the, the pirate do you really sites. think that's what's going to happen? Well, I uh, mean, do you think that's why they did it? It's like I get. I agree. Of course, it's more like an anti-piracy thing. It was like this is this is our exclusive come to the theater to see Storm talk to you. Now, thing. do you think that what? they'll do you think they'll cast know. someone else to do it in Chinese? I know. <laughs> I, don't. I think I they don't. want the audience to have an emotional connection, not just to the movie and to the characters, but to the people who make the movie. So they will feel guilty about pirating a film. It's like I they, don't think that's going to work, but I think that's the goal. But I think we're getting too hung up on this instead of the actual movie itself. Okay. okay. No, no, I but just... I, I am glad that Andrew brought it up because it is it is a weird thing that, again, it's not an anomaly. There are other movies that are doing this, and, and of course your nemesis, John Green, doing it before. <laughs> with Again, I don't know if it was Paper Towns or Fault in Our Stars, but he did come out before one of those movies and be like, hey guys, thank you for coming out to see this movie. A lot of people worked on it and I'm really glad that hey, you're here. Hey, thanks for coming to see the film. I'm John Green. No, I'm, I'm doing a John Green imitation. That's yeah. how it sounds. John Green. <laughs> <laughs> My imitation of him sounds Italian, I'm sorry. It, he has a weird yeah. affectation. John Green is not my nemesis. I love John Green. Except for An Abundance of Catherines. That okay. book sucks. Now we're really getting off track here. <laughs> All right. Movie. Uh, do we, now, before we get into spoilers, should we say anything about the movie yes, itself? Yes, uh, there are a few other things to say about the movie. Okay. Yes. So many characters in so many different places, and then we don't revisit them for about half-hour stretches. Which ones? Throughout the film. All right, Professor X. 
What's he doing down in Washington, D.C., while everybody else is apparently doing so much stuff? Huh. And then... That's a good point. You know, the, we see those other students... Those other mutants go out to the mall. The only thing we ever see them do is go is come out of Return of the Jedi, and then the next time we see them, it's they're, they're coming back to the school. Yeah, they're coming back to the school. What? Why was that? They, they like spread everybody Didn't, out. There was a deleted scene that didn't make it in where Cyclops and Jean go to a record store and they look at a Dazzler album, which would have been oh. an awesome Easter egg, but they cut it. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm freaking out, but that. Why wasn't that in the movie? Because they hate us. <laughs> this Did, movie is almost two and a half hours long. It is way and too long. And believe me, they could have cut so much out of this film. Just all of it. Oh. <laughs> I, see, I'm, I'm serious though. There are plot, there are Can plot I? threads and segments of the things that you you could just. You could have written out, and it would have been a decent-length movie. Okay, can I talk a little bit... I don't think this is spoilers if I talk about a particular actor or character. Who is criminally misused. Okay, Apocalypse. Why is Oscar Isaac Apocalypse? Because he's the hot young star that was still affordable at the time when they signed him. <laughs> Just like Jennifer Lawrence. Yes! Yeah, good point. He... I bet the studio is probably now like, oh, crap, now we actually have to pay Jeff Lawrence's salary. Abusing Oscar Isaac, a tremendously gifted actor like this, violates the Geneva Convention. You, you didn't wow. even, he was, he you was didn't even know. He was unrecognizable in that role. You didn't, you didn't know that it was him. Yeah, when we were watching the credits, I saw Oscar Isaac, and I turned to Jack, and I said, who is Oscar Isaac in this film? <laughs> Now, how many of you have seen... Raise your hands. How many of you have seen the Money Morphin Power Rangers movie? Uh, none of you? Well, we can't. the audience can't see us raising our hands. All right, so but no, say if you did I have not, not seen it. No. 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 All right, well, I guess I'm the only idiot who saw that movie. <laughs> how but, was it? Way to go, Jack. It was Mighty Morphin, but the point is, if you ever watch that movie or Google it, the villain of that movie, played by Paul Freeman, looks exactly like Apocalypse in this movie. <laughs> now, I don't know if whether... Now, Matt, you could tell me in the comics, is this close to how he looks? Um, it's a combination of things, but from the shoulders up, it sucked. And that's really <laughs> where you need to get Apocalypse right. Like, he looked like crap. You have to get his face you right. You have to get his face right, because he's, he's famous for having giant blue lips, which he doesn't have in the movie. Or, like, a prominent brow ridge. And, like, you know, there's this, these affectations... Brow ridges, people. That brow are very ridges. important in his visuals. And, I mean, I like from... And then from the shoulders down, they did an interesting mix of his comic suit with some uh, Egyptian motifs and stuff. And I thought that worked well, but just from from the shoulders up, it was no. <laughs> so it, everything was good except his face. Yeah. <laughs> but again, though, it's you have an actor who is so charismatic and so like awe-inspiring. I mean, last year. You know, you have Ex Machina, and then you have him, even in Star Wars, yeah. where he was kind of underutilized, he still was very charming, and very, uh, he brought a lot of personality in the minutes that he had on screen. Yeah, but in, Ap in Apocalypse, he's he's just like Lee Pace in Guardians of the Galaxy. <sighs> he has yeah. enough, he has nothing to do. Uh, he, they could have gotten someone from craft services to play Apocalypse, you, and you couldn't have told the difference. You, you, you said you could have played. I said I could have played Apocalypse with a little voice box to make my voice. You would have been your best villain role since the lab <laughs> of Doctor Scrumpy. We're getting into real inside yeah, baseball but here. This is a huge problem because he's the title villain, so he needs yeah. to be a 
presence, but he's not a presence, and his plan is really vague and nonsensical. As are his powers. Uh, yes, uh, but then... He has the power to turn things into sand, apparently. Only in this movie. And then but, turn sand into other things. But, but, but here's where I was confused. So, initially... Did they try to explain that he has, like, all of the powers? He has every power from every mutant host body he's inhabited yeah. over the Oh, place. okay. So I guess that the idea, then, is that he has all these powers from back in 3500 BC or whatever, yeah. and now he's woken, he's getting some new powers here and there. He wants to get a new power, though. No, he only gets new powers when he transfers to a different body. Yeah, uh, he has to assume the host body to take the new power. But that's something that I feel like the movie did not do a good job showing. Like, it made me confused about how, what his power levels were. Yeah. The fact that at times it seems like, why doesn't he just go into, like, you know, f yeah. go over into all of the... You know, the, the, with the, his level of power and reach, he could go to every place that there are level places of power where there are governments and what the White House, the whatever this or that, and just obliterate everything. Yeah, and, yeah, like, and why does he need these four henchmen to do things when he's clearly powerful enough as it is? Why would he only have four? Yeah, like oh, because of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The and henchmen are another tremendously blown opportunity. They have no personality, no plot arcs. They come and go like their motivations are non-existent. They don't do anything. They're completely irrelevant to the plot, they, and they're they, completely they blown opportunity. They tried to admit. Do, they tried to half-ass it a little bit with Storm, the fact that like, oh, I'm like a beggar on the streets, and I look up to Mystique, and I'm I'm prime fodder for somebody who wants to yeah. get back at humanity, but then like, she's so thin. Yeah. Like, she sides with crazy genocidal apocalypse without any brainwashing, so the like it's yeah. like her, her arc is like wait, so minimal. Wait, not brainwashing? I thought no, she looked in her eyes. I, well, he looked in her eyes and activated her powers, but I don't think there was really a degree of brainwashing. Yeah, no one ever well, really got brainwashed. It well, was like, hey, you want to join me? It's like, all right. Well, yeah. they had well, they had to show how she got white hair. Yeah, that's another <laughs> thing that's crazy stupid. Is that well? I mean, I don't mind it that this is like the, the X Men movies are fascinated with the origins of characters' hair. Like, instead of having a character show up with their distinctive hair, and then, of course they have that hair. That's the comic book character. Like, nope, we have to explain in detail how Professor X became bald. Why he can't, can't he just be bald? <laughs> no, he has to lose it due to apocalyptic machinations, Jack. Don't you understand? That's the art that fans have oh. wanted to see for decades because they just made it up for this movie. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Baldness occurs in nature. We yeah. can just assume you don't need supernatural reasons to be bald. Plus, it's been 30 years since x <laughs> class and nobody looks like they've aged a day. So oh, yeah, have well... just done that to throw us a Yeah. He's older now. It's yeah. like, for instance, Rex is telling the story, it's like, and that's how I got my mutant power. It's like, baldness? No! Psychic powers! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, useless, like, showing how I got my hair groove back. <laughs> like, and I, uh, like, yeah, a lot of wasted potential here. Um, I don't know, can we get into spoilers? Well, I, yeah, but, but, but before we do, I guess we should have, like, one final thought for the people who don't want spoilers. Okay. Uh, this is just kind of a... It's a mess from a writing standpoint. It's a mess from a character standpoint. There are so many characters put in who are kind of un pretty much unnecessary, and uh, they try to juggle a bit too much. Is any of it fun? Yes, one part is fun. Even though that With is a retread. Even that though that's is also a retread. Yeah, it is but a retread. It's still fun. It's Again, worth. It's 
checking out on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> when the, the clip comes up, piracy is wrong, but uh, it's it's not worth the, the admission. Yeah, there is no, no matter what that filmed introduction said. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't listen to lady who tells you like, you know, we're just don't listen to her, okay? <laughs> right. She's a fool, Corey. Yeah, I would say there is no reason to see this movie. Said I do think there are a few things the film does well in terms of character beats, but there's no reason to see this movie because. Anything it does well is completely unoriginal and a complete retread, a complete rehash of other better X-Men movies. So anything that's remotely original in this film is terrible. The actual plot is terrible. The It makes tons of mistakes, and the things it does well, just watch... Another X-Men movie. A better X-Men movie. Watch X2. This, Yeah, watch X-Men 2. Or watch First Class or Days of Future Past again, which are both awesome movies. This is a completely unnecessary, inessential film. And for me also, it didn't help that a few weeks ago I saw another movie, Captain America Civil War, that did exceptionally well balancing an ensemble cast. And, wa- and I couldn't help but think about how well that movie handled a very large number of characters with what a complete disaster this movie was in terms of dealing with a large ensemble cast. Well said. All right, Matt? So, yeah, this was like a big, empty movie that did not engage me, even though there was a lot of special effects. I like spectacle, and as an X-Men fan from the comics, it's even worse because you're sitting there watching, this is a dumb movie, and it's also screwing up a mythos that I want to see adapted well, and why did I waste my time sitting here in the theater for them to bombard me with idiocy? They could have done such a better job with it, and they just fumble it. It's like, I like to describe um, Brian Singer as Lucy Van Pelt of superhero movies. <laughs> so they, they tease us with a good apocalypse movie that would have been cool to see, and last minute he yanks it away from us, and you get the actual X-Men apocalypse movie, which is crap. Alright. Um, by the way, I'll answer your question. Uh, the reason you were subjected to this idiocy is so you could record this podcast. With oh. <laughs> Brian Singer looked into the future and was like, Matt will join us. <laughs> join them. <laughs> join them, sorry. Um, I-, I will just say, I... <laughs> We're like Brian Singer's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Oh, oh, and, oh, and by the way, he had to be—he had to be cute. And I, I don't know if I, I probably was the only one that noticed this. He had to shoehorn in Metallica's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in the scene with uh, who's the guy with the wings? Archangel. Archangel. He's hanging out like for some reason in the dark, drinking. Because I guess like because his wings are burned, it's like. Well, I'm not going to do anything anymore. I'm just going to blast Metallica. And, of course, it has to be the Four Horsemen, because, get it? Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse! I mean, it would have been... Hammered for- into your head, Matt! <laughs> it would have been forgivable in a better movie, which this was not. Yeah, I... I didn't hate this movie. I didn't. I, I still think Batman v Superman is a little bit more offensive, even though that had some good things. Mm. I I enjoyed the acting. That tr- I think that mostly got me through the movie... But, again, the plot just has... It, it's just so lame. It's just so hackneyed. And you've seen this scenario played out so many times as far as end-of-the-world 
subplots where the end of the world is happening and we're going to have a big battle on top of rubble and we're going to do a whole lot of things that you've seen, if not in a superhero movie, in other movies, in other disaster movies. Yeah. It, 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 it made me never want to see another end-of-the-world disaster movie again. I don't want to see Independence Day 2 because of this. Oh, that's too bad. I guess we're going to be seeing that anyway. Yeah. Because I'm you want to. But I, my review, as I said at the start of the podcast, is eh, which is about, is about how I felt about Last Stand. And that's right in that they're bad in different ways. But I think they're bad in one same respect, which is that they have so many characters, and yet they stretch themselves so thin, and... Both are written by Simon Kinberg, so... Oh, really? Him. Yes. Oh. Well, yeah, yeah, well... By the way... He's, he's hit or miss, Another thing... Mostly miss! Well, yeah. Another thing, four writers on this. Oh, yeah, four! Well, they're, they're four story by, but only one screenplay by credit. But that still means that four people came up to the story for this thing. Yeah, well, that doesn't surprise me. All right. So, you've heard what we had to say about it, generally speaking. Let's get let's dig a little bit more into bigger things that happen in this movie. Yeah, so if to you, spoil you. So, if you haven't seen the movie yet, pause now. Welcome back. Okay. So, All right. Everybody else is gone, guys. It's our clubhouse now. Join us. Ooble gobble. We- <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. They could have... All right. I'm just going to start it off this way. They could have cut out that whole stupid scene in the military base where we just basically got to see Wolverine run around... And the the whole movie would have gone along fine. And yes. Yet the, and yet that was the one part where the audience broke out in applause. It was the only exciting part. It was pretty exciting, even though it it it's also old hat. It's the kind of thing that we saw have seen in any X Men movie with Wolverine. It was terrible, and as Matt noted on his list, which was something I thought of as well when I was watching this, it seemed to violate the continuity at the end of Days of Future Past. Why don't you explain more, Matt? Oh, oh yeah. yeah! At the end of Days of Future Past, yeah. when Wolverine gets shot into the harbor and they're dragging him out, um, the person dragging him out is supposed to be William Stryker, but it's revealed that's actually Mystique. So I don't understand why Mystique would hand him over oh. to the Weapon X people. It just was, like, really strange. that I forgot that that happened. Yeah, like, I'm trying to remember now. Well, I guess... Because there are two Wolverines, though, because... No. They, well, but no. what about the Wolverine that goes back into the future? Only his he mind goes back to back the future. Time. His body is oh. But, then, but if his mind went into the future, so he wouldn't know who Jean Grey, young Jean no, Grey was? No, he does. Well, no. Not in the past. It's, See, that... X-Men continuity is just bad. Just well, the like, problem... Straight now, down. Timelines th- don't make sense. Now, I didn't think about this, this when I was a, watching the this movie. this is a direct problem that contradicts the movie that came before it. Yes. Universe-wise, we're talking about three films. This just doesn't make any sense. I The end of Days of Future Past, 
So you have that scene where Wolverine wakes up. He goes through the school and sees everybody. That's in the future that doesn't matter. That's no, what we're but about. but the point though is though. Now I didn't think about this when I was watching the movie, but I thought about it on the way home that the fact that everybody's still alive. So where's the suspense? If you're having your movie set in 1983, that your characters are all going to come out all right in the end. Well, yeah, that's a problem. That's the problem with prequels in general, and they should not be doing that. But, but yeah, that's an excellent point, though, the fact that... Also, the, the, I, I, one thing I thought of watching it is, he just runs away. Wolverine goes in the wilderness, and they're like, where's he going? I, get, I found a couple of his memories, and... Now, well, I sure hope we don't see that guy. They again. literally say that. <laughs> they say, "I hope we don't see him again." Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Come to see the Wolverine three next year. Oh, the the one thing that that leaves me open for is that a happiest bet is that he could be found by James and Heather Hudson, and then be a member of Alpha Flight with them. Because I would be so down for an Alpha Flight movie. You have uh, no idea. I think they're well, going. I think they're I... going with an old man Logan movie. Well, screw them. Because Alpha Flight is better. Well, I don't know what Alpha Flight is. There's a Canadian Avengers. I'm glad you. Ah. I'm glad you found something interesting in that scene. Well, why would they let him go? If, like they could have been like, "Hey, come help us on this mission that we have to go on." For the on. same reason they didn't bring Quicksilver along with them to Paris in the last movie. Uh, it would have been too easy. <laughs> yeah, so Let's yeah. talk about Quicksilver. Yeah. The bright spot in this film. He was awesome. He's not very much like uh, Compa Quicksilver at all. In fact, he's more like Impulse from DC Comics. But I'm okay <laughs> with that because he's actually fun. He's such a good exuberant character that you want more of because he does great set pieces too. He, he has interesting he, things, even if it's stuff we've seen before. He has a good right, dry right. sense of humor. Like, he, he has a way of kind of saying a remark or saying something and it will break the tension of the scene. Yeah. Um, now, here's a question that I had. In this movie, or maybe did they mention in the last movie, how is he Eric Lencher's son? Because Magneto had sex with his mom before Yeah, like he class. explained. When was... Yeah, well, he explained it in, like, a funny way, but... It, it was, but, like, did they show... But did, they did don't they, show it. It happens sometime before first class, and it varies much strange credulity, which is the problem with these prequels, that the timeline's sort of, like kinky and things just happen yeah that, 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 that just yeah. it feels like they crowbarred that in there and yet did nothing with it yeah but, they were gonna intro oh sorry i cut you no, off no 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 it's okay the yeah, fact they, that that idea that he's magneto's son doesn't 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 really have any impact and he never reveals it to magneto he crazy, tells it to other people because you think that he's gonna tell to magneto that's what magneto turned on apocalypse but he doesn't do that like no that would be like the key to getting magneto's support but why he doesn't, doesn't he do say that. it do they are they afraid of having like a big emotional beat oh my god have a moment where he says i'm your son and they also don't reveal that mystique is nightcrawler's mom well, is that a thing too? That is definitely a thing. That is true. Yes. Oh, all right. And Azazel from First oh, Class oh, he's, is dad. He, yeah, I figured. Uh, since yep. they have the same power. Basically. But how come? Wait, if if. But Azazel, she still looks. She's if, like twenty-five years old in this fucking. She's movie. much older than that, though. They've already established yeah. that. But in she first did class. the actress look. It doesn't help that she looks exactly the same age as Sophie Turner. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence and Sophie Turner look exactly the same age, and one character is supposed to be decades older. Well, at least they have an excuse of Mystique. Her body ages much slower. That's established. There's no excuse for the rest of the people from First Class not looking any older. Also, she she can change her shape, shape so shape, she can yeah. look however she wants. But yeah. 
Everybody looks the same as they did in first class. Everybody. Because Fox does not understand how aging makeup works. <laughs> yeah, I was really mm. cheesed off, though, that they introduced this whole Quicksilver's Magneto Sun thing and then didn't do anything with it. If you're going to shoehorn that into your overstuffed plot, make it count. And I was really bothered that they didn't mention it in the climactic battle because, let's face it, Michael Fassbender emoting is the only thing this movie has going for it, really. Yeah, because Michael Fassbender is amazing. I mean, yeah. when I say the movie did certain things well, I really mean I'm a total sap for the character of Magneto, and I find him endlessly well, fascinating, well, that's even like, if he's yeah. reading the phone book. So yeah. this was basically the only thing the movie had going for it, was Michael Fassbender's character and his performance. Corey, I pray to God that Michael Fassbender hears this, <laughs> and his next like YouTube sensation is him reading from the phone book. Oh my God, <laughs> that would be awesome. Make uh, it so, Michael Fassbender. You, I love you. <laughs> but not in a way that compromises my marital vows to lovely Jack over It's here. fine, I love him too. Yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he, but he's so good in this movie that, like, that whole sequence, again, I, I mentioned the first act, he has a storyline where, you know, he has a wife and son. Daughter. He's hi daughter. He's an aunt in Poland. Well, he does have a son. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> a da the daughter in Poland, okay. He has a kid, and he's hiding out, working in a factory... But he gets found out because he tries to... He, he, he saves a guy from getting crushed uh, by a big falling metal thing. By the way, seriously, a guy saves your co-worker with superpowers, and your first thought is to turn him into the police? What's the deal, Poland? Yeah, <laughs> it's communist Poland. Seriously, communist Poland? I thought you were better than that. Yeah, and then like they have a whole scene with the other factory workers who come and... And Travis showdown with him in the Those woods. The police. The, the, the police. And, uh, you know, and they know that it's Magneto. And, by the way, and they also shoehorn in at the last moment that his daughter has powers, I guess. His daughter's immune. Yeah. She has which, bird powers. Yeah. <laughs> she has the birdemic powers. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, of course, you know, her wife and kid die right there. He immediately kills all the officers. End of scene. And yet, Fassbender still sells it. Yeah. Emotionally. But the, see, that's also a double-edged sword because Fassbender is so good as Magneto that he completely overshadows Apocalypse. And even if you didn't have someone good like Fassbender's role, it's like also a problem of still having Magneto because he's like the big major villain. But you don't want to be focusing on the X-Men's arch-nemesis. You want to have the new arch-nemesis, Apocalypse, come in and be scared of him and his power instead of having me <clears> like, oh yeah, here's Magneto. He's the guy you like who's doing all the impressive power stuff. You know, he's wrong to put in the story just because you have Michael Fassbender on contract. Yeah, and, yeah, he, and you think yeah. you can coast by on the strength of Fassbender, but no, ultimately that doesn't help the film. I he's great in it, that but, too, that, you know... Yeah, it didn't help that Apocalypse is juxtaposed next to a fantastic villain, and Magneto's my favorite villain in any comic book movie ever. I love Magneto, and he I think he's such a great villain. He's and really it, compelling. Yeah, it doesn't help that you've got this giant pile of genericness in Apocalypse, this completely boring, flat, not character whose powers wax and wane according to the demands of the plot, and then you compare that pile of rubbish to 
a really great, compelling character. But played he, by a really great, compelling actor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, to be fair, the the Magneto movie was X-Men First Class. That's where yeah. the real emotional arc of that movie was for him. But he still got his moment to shine in, in Days of Future Past. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he had plenty of great things in Future Past. Both had, as Michael Fassbender and as Ian McKellen. Yeah, but it's just a problem with the overall um, X-Men film franchise is that they have... Like a handful of characters who are like both fan favorites slash stars that they keep giving like big meaty parts to, and all the supporting characters get nothing. They get nothing, and it's always the Wolverine, Magneto, Xavier show, and those are the only characters that they focus on. And a little bit more of Mystique now, but she's not very much like Mystique from the comics. But then the whole wide mythos of all these different interesting side characters is they're just background fodder, and it's a big disservice to them. Yeah, yeah, you certainly have a point. Yeah, and, now, and, a, and a really uncom and, and I know we're I might be repeating myself, but such an uncompelling villain. What like, the hell is Apocalypse's power supposed to be, Matt? Okay, well we uh, talked about that. Like no, I don't no, know. no, but I'm asking Matt as a comic book guy, what is his okay deal? Apocalypse's powers in the comics is that he can control every cell in his body so that he can um that he has, has a lot of different. Aspects he uses it very versatility, um, versatility. Ver he has he versatility. uses it with great versatility. Yes, exactly. Um, so it's a hard word. He uses word. it um, basically to be a virtually immortal, and he's a shapeshifter and a megamorph, and can change his size. And occasionally he does stuff like um, energy blast because everybody gets energy blast. Sure. But then yeah, but then it's like super strength. He handed out like candy. But see, the crazy thing is that this is the only power he doesn't have in the movie. Like the one scene where he looks like he's doing it, where he grows giant size and crushes Xavier, is just a whole psychic plane fight. He doesn't actually grow like giant size and manipulate his own body mass at all in this film. No. Like the one canon Apocalypse power they don't use, they give him a whole bunch of powers that Apocalypse never uses in the comics, and he's like, here, have some. Just whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and you think these guys have been working on these movies for well over a decade, 15, 16 years. You would have read some comic books by now. Yeah, but I mean, I know... Singers... Or you could have used that knowledge to write a better script. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, without... You know, it. there are other problems with the script, aside from not having a compelling villain, but if they... You know, you watch other X-Men movies, and often the, the, the great thing, you know, for me, what I love about a lot of those movies is that a lot of the turmoil and conflict is within, is because of the group itself, because of the mutants not being able to get along with their different ideologies. But when you have a villain who's just like, I will destroy everything, you know, well... Uh. I mean, it kind of works in the context of the comics because his motivations are a little bit better defined, or they actually allow him to be more hands-on. He's kind of like a guy who does actually want a full-out eugenics war, who's very into Herbert Spencer's survival of the fittest, although misunderstanding what Herbert Spencer actually meant by that phrase, um, <laughs> that's a different <laughs> podcast topic, but um, so he's he's like a very big long-term thinker. I can't wait till we have that podcast. Yes. The Herbert Spencer episode. <laughs> yes. I don't even know who that is. He's the guy that coined the phrase survival of the fittest, that was oh, yeah, Jack. folded into Darwinism, but oh, Darwin never actually so, said it. Okay, because Darwin, oh, okay, so he never said Darwin, I don't think Darwin ever said it, but people misunderstand. Apocalypse himself misunderstands that like he so, thinks that it's, there needs to be an actual global war between humans and mutants 
for mutants to kill all the inferior humans with a mass genocide and take their place as rulers of the earth, which doesn't really come across well in here. No. Um, but anyhow, certainly but, not. But it's, it's, I mean, in the comics, it's, it's interesting because you have a sort of he's like a grand, like everyone against him villain. So that, like Jack was saying, there's there's different ideologies with Magneto and Xavier, whereas. Apocalypse is super, super extreme that they both realize, okay, yeah, that guy has definitely gone too far, we'll put aside our differences and fight that guy, because he's clearly wrong, he's, like, too far even for Magneto's standards. Yeah. Whereas this, you know, having Magneto as just, like, a sidekick just doesn't do him favors. Yeah. No, and here's it another doesn't. weird thing with the movie. There's that big scene in the middle where Apocalypse takes control of all the world's nuclear weapons yeah. and launches them all at the same time. Alright, first of all, at the end of that scene, there's a stupid line where someone on the radio is saying, all the nuclear weapons in the world oh, were yeah. launched at w- all the same time. There is no word on whether this was an act of peace or an act of war. <laughs> I think it was! I remember when we were watching it, you actually turned to me and was like, what? Yeah, that line made me die inside. Like, of what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Who does acts of peace? That's not a thing! That's not a thing! Acts of peace? What is this, Superman 4? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to then, destroy all the nuclear weapons and then fight Meteor Man. Not Meteor Man. I'm going to fight you, Nuclear Man on the moon. You always call him Meteor Man. <laughs> I get him confused That's with Robert the Meteor Townsend. Man. <laughs> I know. All right, but then... They sound alike. But when that scene starts, it's like, wow, some serious drama's happening now. All the nuclear weapons have launched. And what happens? It's just like, all right, okay, they I'm all saying, just me, go me, away I, and, no, and nothing happens. I do actually appreciate that swerve that they just get rid of all the nukes because I've seen too many things where all the nukes are used against the world, like on season four of Green Arrow. So I'm actually glad that they didn't do it. Oh, and like they were going to do in first class, yes. actually. Well, first class, yeah. that actually had a little bit more emo- like it worked better though but this is what we're saying how everything is basically a rehash in this picture yeah. oh and another thing as a rehash this is something I wanted to bring up even when we were before we were podcasting so that whole sequence where we, you know uh, Apocalypse is you know explaining what he's going to do and he takes control of the submarine guys and all the nukes, nukes launch Beethoven 7th the Zardos music <laughs> <laughs> See, for me, I don't think of Zardoz. The Fall. I, well, The Fall, but no, I think of the Nicolas Cage movie Knowing. Uh, all right, and I know that's weird, but that of movie... Of all the films. That movie, you know what it is? The climax of that movie, you see the end of the world happening, put to Beethoven's seventh, second movement, and it's the exact same thing we're seeing in this movie. It's... It, Brian Singer is ripping off a bad Alex Preuss movie. <laughs> And he probably is ripping off Gods of Egypt at the beginning, too, because it was very <laughs> Stargate. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. I got that feeling, too, when I saw him in that gold mask, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we're back to Stargate now. <laughs> oh, here's another thing. Apocalypse, in the second half of the movie, he obviously makes a pyramid with his mind. Yeah. Okay. And we saw him do that in at the end of uh, Days, of, Days of Future Past, in that post credit scene. Mm-hmm. Fine. Okay, at the beginning of this movie, he goes into a pyramid, correct? Yes. Yeah. Which has clearly been built by someone else, because they put a giant booby trap in there no. to trap him. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense why he would let them put two big stone blocks with ramps that would crash in to his pyramid. Like, that's obviously yeah, designed Yeah, the man for. could obviously make his own pyramids, 
So the, he gave someone else the job of doing it, even though he knew he could do it way faster. Or I think he did build up period, <laughs> and then somebody ra- put a ramp while up after he built the main period, but he didn't like notice that somebody put like a giant trap ramp up outside his front door. Doesn't make a lick of sense. No, not well, at all. Well, that's the problem when you try to create all powerful characters, because when you create characters that are that super powerful inevitably what ends up killing them is something really stupid. Like, I remember when I was watching the movie, part of Apocalypse's plan is he wants to steal Professor X's powers because he doesn't have the power to control other people's minds. Now, when I was watching this, up until this point, Apocalypse has done everything he's wanted to do without any difficulties whatsoever. He's... He's demonstrated such a broad array of ill-defined powers that I remember thinking, why is he even making himself vulnerable in this transference process to steal Professor X's powers when he can do what he wants well, without well, that's, stealing well, that's Professor why, X's Well, that's what I meant to say earlier about how, you know, his powers in the movie just seemed, like, vaguely defined. And again, that's yeah. part of what Matt was talking about as far as not really understanding the character from the comics. And when you have that, you end up with, you know, Batman v Superman problems. Well, I mean, the character from the comics also has vaguely defined powers, but, like, they're different vaguely defined powers. But here's the stupid thing about the Xavier thing, is that he kidnaps Xavier and teleports him back to Egypt, and then he makes Xavier beam a message into everybody's heads with his telepathy. Again, Again. rehash. Yeah, but then... Only then, after that's done, and Xavier screws up the end of the message, does he say, oh, I'm gonna make you my new host body. He doesn't say instantly, I'm putting myself in Xavier's body so I don't screw up the telepathic message, yeah. and I'm not giving the X-Men time to rescue him. He has. Why wouldn't he do this right first. away? Why yeah, wouldn't yeah. he do this right away? Especially because the last time he went through the transference <laughs> process, he was betrayed and buried under a pile of rubble for almost 4,000 years. Yeah. So Apocalypse should be very aware of the fact that he's vulnerable during the transference process and the possibility of his plans going awry is high. So you have a man who is succeeding in everything he wants to do because he's in his generic end-the-world plot, yet he still decides to kidnap Professor X and in the stupidest way imaginable, try to do the transference thing again. Can't you go into like a safe, like a safe house? Go into a panic room. Couldn't you have built a better pyramid with your brain? <laughs> yeah, get a py- get one of those pyramids that have all the grain, like Ben Carson talks couldn't about. Couldn't you have recorded? Uh, couldn't you have like recruited a lot more mutants to protect? Yeah, you? Yes. why only four? I mean, they were super awesome, but apparently not okay. enough. No, let's take a moment to talk about Archangel. Uh, because, you see, Archangel is a character... The guy with fr- the awesome metal wings. Yes, who was first used in X-Men The Last Stand, but for some reason, due to time travel shenanigans, he's now born much earlier... So yeah, in a different country. Yeah, wait a minute, yeah. yeah. Then, uh, and it gets stupider, too, because they went out of their way to specifically mangle the timeline to make Archangel viable for this movie, because Archangel is an important part of Apocalypse's story, but then they give him no arc. He's a cage fighter, basically like Wolverine was in the first X-Men movie. They don't talk about his <laughs> Yeah, that, that felt all. like a real retread. They, they don't have, like, um... Like, he has zero arc about himself being, like, 
crippled or uh, and it's like because he's he doesn't start off as x-men so there's no sense of betrayal that he's been brainwashed and corrupted by apocalypse because he doesn't know any of these people and so there's no emotional connection to him being a horseman of the apocalypse um as a form since he was a not a formal x-men at all there's no um, there's no spark between him and the team, and the worst part is, they went out of the way, oh wait, no, wait, I forgot another part, is that after, <laughs> uh, once his wing is crippled, Apocalypse shows up, and he just touches him, and he grows metal wings out of his back, like, there's not, yeah. like, an intense, like, he didn't graft them in artificially with his That, that technology. seemed like, that was just, like, it's, excruciating it's, it's to watch. It's really lazy. It's, like, such lazy writing. But then, okay, so here's my favorite stupid part of this, is that at the end, they're in, um, they're in a plane that they stole from the Weapon X project because the actual Blackbird that Beast made gets immediately blown up by Havoc. Which they, which they set aside its own scene for. Yeah, they set Just aside. to waste more time and make right. sure we know so, that it could explode. Right, so as the plane is crashing, Psylocke and Archangel get in the plane, but then Nightcrawler teleports everybody out of the plane, and then Cyclops, uh, uh, Psylocke falls off, right, and then... Okay. Okay. Oh, Just stop? No. Uh, oh. Okay. It skipped a frame. Sorry about that. Alright, alright. Okay. Alright. So anyhow, so there's the, there's the plane going down, Psylocke manages to, to jump out, and then but then Archangel, who can fly, is still in the plane, and he crashes with it. The guy who can fly dies in the plane crash. And apparently, is, uh, while Magneto is bending all of the world's metal, this one plane does not get affected. Yes. Apparently, it's made of plastic yeah, or wood. Yeah, that's something I thought about. Like, if he's controlling all the metal, how does this plane get through? But anyhow, so, reasons. So, Archangel dying in the plane crash is the new Darwin dying. <laughs> <laughs> so, what? what? It's, 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 you know how Darwin's powers to adapt to any attack in first class, uh, yeah. he gets killed by Sebastian Shaw, even though oh. his powers should save him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Well, yeah, him, Archangel, and whoever Olivia Munn is playing. She's playing Psylocke. Did she even have a name in this Psylocke. movie? Yes, okay. they, they do mention it. They have a combined... She, she wasted, too. They have a combined total of, I want to say, four lines of dialogue in the entire yeah. film. And Archangel Olivia Munn and is someone who is a really good actress. We've I, seen I her... wouldn't say really good, but... Well, she's she a good actress. She's, she's, she was on the newsroom, and she was fine. Yeah, she was good in the newsroom. But, um... Also, the funny thing is that Psylocke is a telepath in the comics, so really Apocalypse would have just been able to use her as a host body in this movie. Had yeah, she but she's a girl, powers. and girls are gross. Yeah, you have cooties. Get away, girls! I want Wolverine! Just claws come his hand, he stabs right, people! Alright, cool down, Jack. I'm all gonna right, get my work. cooties all over you. Gonna, cooties! I'm gonna stab you with my knife! And here's another thing! <laughs> I think I feel like this whole review is going to be like me saying, "Here's another thing." <laughs> well, Magneto bends the Earth literally yeah. with his magnetic powers. Fine. Thousands of people must have died. Millions. Yeah, millions, millions died. And they show they show cities destroyed. Well, entire buildings are collapsing. Bridges full of cars are breaking apart. Opera fans in Australia. And, and yes, yes yeah. they show a lot of these different places. I know it sounds weird to say this. I almost didn't really get a sense, though, of how many people really died. I'm sure, of course, there were a it lot. must have but been. They, but they cut, like, these quick shots. Oh, here's a popular New York bridge being destroyed, and here's the Sydney Opera House being destroyed. It's, it's, it's that's surprising they didn't switch to San Francisco just to see the Golden Gate Bridge break apart again. <laughs> Probably a deleted scene with the Dazzler record. But, um... But yeah, so it's crazy. So that Magneto kills all these people across the world. We can we can only logically assume that he killed 
so many people by doing this. And then at the end of the movie, they just let him off the shrug. It's like, oh, Eric, you <laughs> boys gotta be boys. Like, they don't <laughs> intend to, like, bring him to justice for all, because he wasn't brainwashed at the time. He was just like, Magneto was like, oh, yeah, sure, Apocalypse, I'll do this vague thing to take control of all the metal on the earth and destroy tons and tons of cities. But because he betrayed Apocalypse at the last second, they just, like, are cool with him now, and they let him go off after rebuilding the mansion. It's just like, very like you're like a super duper mass murderer now. That's you, yeah. you can't let that slide and still be all human mutant coexistence because oh, yeah, and I don't think the film was aware of how terrible that was because maybe a self aware filmmaker would be like, hmm, oh. maybe Professor X has been corrupted by some of the very same like Nietzschean Ubermensch thinking that Magneto has because Professor X is willing to allow Magneto to live in the world when he periodically murders people. So Professor X obviously values his own personal moral judgment of Magneto's value as a human being more than he values the countless civilians well, who have been murdered by Magneto. Well, well, it's the same thing as, like, in, you know, it's the same Star Wars thing, where Luke Skywalker clearly has to know how many people Darth Vader has killed you know, he literally a full whole planet when he first in that first movie, and yet it's like I still feel good in you. The conflict you can be saved. Like you're Darth Vader. Who gives? It's yeah, the same but thing here. I, I would say it's different because Darth Vader like ends up sort of sacrificing his life at the end, whereas Magneto you know, they just let him walk off scot free. So like, and, you know, I, and it's so unavoidable to notice because you see so much destruction of cities. While yeah. Magneto is doing his whole well, magnetic powers thing, well, it's, that you, know, you can come to no other logical conclusion. Did Brian Singer not see a superhero movie in the past? He few saw. Years? Ba- I bet he said, saw Batman vs well, Superman. Here's what. Here's what I thought. I, I'm sorry to cut you guys off. But I have to get this out. Do you think that he saw Deadpool? And do you think that he saw Deadpool? A, He's no. in post production. He like I had this image in my head of him in post production on this movie, and he thinks, "Ooh, I have such a." awesome movie I'm cooking up here for the X-Men fans, and then Deadpool comes out, and they literally have a moment in Deadpool where um, what's her name? Gina Carano? Like, Sorry, was I saying the right actress? No, you were, you were. Yeah. I'm saying she, character name. She, she leaps off of, a, of the ship carrier, comes down, and Deadpool's like, ooh, good! Superhero entrance! Or, you know, that, that moment yeah. that we've seen in every movie. They do that in this movie! Yeah. Th- that's what Psy- that's what Psylocke does. That's what, but, and there's no self awareness. So I had this vision of Brian Singer, possibly going to like some screening on the Fox lot to see Deadpool, and he quietly, you know, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, it was good, good, and he goes out in the lobby and goes by himself in the bathroom and just goes fuck, because <laughs> he realizes, oh hey, a lot of the tropes and a lot of the things that I'm talking about in this movie are being mocked outright in this movie. Well, also, can uh, we see Deadpool instead of this movie much better yes, X-Men Deadpool film. is awesome. But yeah, I feel like the movie could have done an int- could have done interesting things with the idea that the so-called good X-Men are totally okay with letting a mass murderer in Magneto go. I mean, that's something you could I, do an interesting thing with. Yeah. But the movie is totally unaware of this being a problem. I but and that comes down to the script. Yes. Ultimately, the script was not smart enough to realize oh, what it was doing. Also, Jean Grey has been the phoenix all along. 
<laughs> yeah, it just... Uh, oh, that, yeah. That, that whole ending where she suddenly's like, Use your full power, Jean! Use your full power! And then she lets out the phoenix, and it's just like... Well, I okay. like that. She has become a super saiyan. Yeah. I like seeing the Phoenix Force aura for once. That was a huge missed opportunity in the last stand. So at least a good visual. But other than that, like, zero character development for how that happens. Like, we just meet the Jean Grey and she's already the Phoenix. Oh, yeah. All right. It yeah. feels like a Deus Ex Machina. And also, I kind of had an entire trilogy of movies exploring Jean Grey wrestling with her powers. And there's nothing that this movie does with the Jean Grey character that you can't see in the original X-Men trilogy with Famke Jensen. Yeah. All right. All right. So, I think, uh, final thoughts. I uh, think final thoughts. What, aside from what we said earlier? Is aside from thoughts? what we said earlier. Well, I mean, was there anything on your piece of paper that you didn't There's get to, There's so Matt? much I didn't get to, but I'm going to be writing that up for my blog. Uh, yeah, Matt, where can we find your blog? You can yes. find my blog at... MattTheCatania.wordpress.com, and that's C-A-T-A-N-I-A. You can also easily find Matt the Catania on Facebook. So if you like the Facebook page, which you should do, um, then you'll be able to see all of the new blogs that Matt puts up. And he had also a really good uh, review of Civil War that you should check out. Uh, After checking out ours, of course. Yes. Um, so can I just start? Yeah. Start what? Yeah. There are final thoughts. Okay. Oh, All right. So there is a lot. There's a lot of potential here. Um, I think that the casting is still strong. Of course, either from people who were cast before. I, I almost again. I wish that the. I almost want to see. I would love to see an X Men movie without plot, with where we just follow the X Men at the school or something. We see like one life, one day in the life of the X Men at a school. And see the things that come up. Again, it might not be very dramatic, but at least we get to have a little bit better character stuff. And maybe, I don't know, maybe get Joss Whedon to do it instead so that, you know, he, he did X-Men. Sure, he's not doing anything. Maybe yeah. Jubilee can do something that time. <laughs> you mean, like, the, not the Jubilee from the, the animated series. Well, the Jubilee that went to see Star Wars with them. Oh, who yeah. doesn't show up in the movie after that? After she gets knocked out, she's completely irrelevant. See, I didn't even know that was Jubilee. All right, Corey, anything, anything to add? Right. My final thoughts. I very much agree with Jack's idea about a day in the life of the X Men because I think this movie was crippled by its need to have the end of the world as its final stakes, and I feel like the few good, albeit repetitive, character beats in this movie are completely overwhelmed by the Transformers-level crap that the main plot is. So, to paraphrase Patton Oswalt, this movie is a failure pile in a sadness bowl. Aw, that's kind of sad. Well, can I ask right. one more question, though, before you get to your things? Just, It's a very simple question. Can, where do they go from here? Uh, can, they, can they go anywhere yes, from they here? Can, yes. Because they kill a god. Well, he's not a real god. He's just a mutant. But, but you know what I mean. He's supposed to be the most powerful mutant. Yeah, well, they can do stuff after that. Buffy tells us the path is not smooth after killing a god. That's what Buffy teaches us. I mean, they That's have... fair enough. All, All right, right Matt, I'm sorry. Wrap about up that. your thing. Um, so I really want to see X Men movies not made by Simon Kimberg or um. 
Brian Singer from now on because they've definitely overstayed their welcome. I mean, I thought they overstayed their welcome before, but this is just the, the trail cherry on top of the suck a, a Sunday. So <laughs> it's just a really bland movie, which is surprising considering how many colorful characters that they have in it that they don't utilize. And it's like very empty and just like soul-crushingly dull, even despite the, the pre-wrappings around it, that there's they could have done so much more, and yet it's somehow less than the sum of its parts, if that's possible. Um, some of its parts are antimatter, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, whereas Deadpool showed us that you can make really good X-Men movies by thinking outside the box and getting people who really cared about the subject matter and letting them run wild with it, this just feels like a hollow corporate running in slow motion exercise in just churning out franchise fodder that doesn't really add anything. Wow. And it's a huge disappointment, the mythos of that, this meant stuff. That's the longest run-on sentence we've ever had on the podcast. I am honored, and I would like a trophy. All right, my final thought. If you liked First Class and if you liked Days of Future Past, which are really good movies, then Apocalypse is going to be a big disappointment. There. Yeah, that, that's pretty well said. As I said, my one-word review. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and and but and to to the point where the person in the introduction before the movie. Uh, well, uh, you're I welcome. Would have, I would have liked a conclusion clip. <laughs> yeah. There's like, hey guys, sorry about that. <laughs> but thanks for sticking it out till the end. Where we love you. You're you paid for us. Throw popcorn at the screen. <laughs> no, no, you throw a pie. <laughs> you, guy, you, guy vacuuming up cartridge shells in the Weapon X facility was the best character in this film. He got a star. He's getting his own franchise Oh, next. and that's the last thing. What was that post credit scene supposed to be about? That's supposed to be foreshadowing for the next Wolverine movie. Who's Essex Corp? Um, well, I guess it's something... What's that greenish blood in the thing? I don't know what the green blood is, but I know that Essex Corp must be owned by Mr. Sinister because his real name is Nathaniel Essex. So we're getting Mr. Sinister probably played by Richard E. Grant in The Wolverine 3, even though he kind of also should be in the Gambit movie that they're still making. I don't know. I won't be on the podcast for Wolverine 3. I'm finally done with those movies. I might not be on the podcast for Wolverine 3. I, it'll just I'm be the me fence. then, but I don't have a podcast. So, yeah, you know. maybe. Oh I'll... man, you gotta get in, get on this. The money is <laughs> we're 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 like we're rolling it. We're buddy. Scrooge McDuck. You don't <laughs> see our gigantic money bank where we just swim around in coins. I I swim around in uh in half dollars. The best coins for swimming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for that, I am Jack. I'm Andrew. I'm guest star Matt Catania. And I am guest star performing her wifely duties, Corey. Thank you for the wifely duties, and remember, the wages of cinema is apocalypse. Happy 50th episode! 50th yeah! episode! Yeah! Yeah! Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.